Hey guys, uh, while you're while you're visiting with each other, uh, we're taking communion this morning. We're doing the Lord's Supper, so there were some little uh, lunchable communion cups on your way in. If you did not get one of those, you can feel free to grab one, and I'll give you. You can you can. Well, I was gonna let you keep talking, but we'll just we'll just keep going. But if you need one of those, you can go ahead and uh, and grab grab one of those. Uh, I'm going to invite Ellie Turner to come up. Ellie is reading our scripture for us this morning. And we are going to be in Acts 3. Yes, so if you have your Bibles, you can open with me there to Acts 3. Uh, If not, uh, it's going to be up on the screen. Although, Ellie, I I need one of the little communion lunchables myself. Before we get started. Okay, Taylor's going to get me one. You're good. Okay, this is Acts 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. 
Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks, Ellie. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, ask, Lord, that uh, as I preach it this morning, that you would be enlivening our hearts, or that you'd be moving in us, uh, that you'd be shaping us, Lord, and calling us into, making us into the people that you've created us to be uh, through, through your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage this morning, one of the things that I think stands out so clearly is uh, the boldness of Peter and John in this situation. And I want to talk just for a minute about this word uh, boldness, because usually when we hear the word boldness, I think of it as being associated with uh, the newest rollout of uh, Taco Bell items, right? They talk about bold new flavors, like your Doritos Locos Taco, right? Uh, that's, that's how we are often kind of hit with this word boldness. And, and what people are kind of pulling on, whether it's Taco Bell or some other marketer, is this idea that there's something unconventional that's happening. And that's, that's true about boldness. That to say that someone is, is living in a bold way or doing something that's bold uh, connotes this idea of something being unconventional. There's also a sense of, of confidence in it, right? That if someone is being bold, they're being confident, that they're moving with, with power or with strength. They're, they're pushing back on some kind of norm or something in the world. And this passage, uh, it calls us as a church into bold living, confident living, strong living. It calls us into bold, bold proclaiming of the gospel. It calls us into being bold receivers of the gospel. And it starts when we look at this bold sign that Peter and John performed. As we break down this morning, we're going to talk about the, the bold sign. We're going to talk about being bold, uh, bold proclaimers or bold particip participators and then bold receivers. So if you're a note taker, that's, that, those are the three points. As we talk about being bold receivers, that's going to lead us here to the Lord's table this morning. So let's talk first about the bold sign that we see Peter and John uh, perform, right? Because this passage, it starts uh, with this miracle where Peter heals a man who has been lame from birth is what verse 2 tells us. And later on in Acts 4, we learn that this man has been like this for 40 years. He's 40 years old and has never walked in his entire life. And through, through Peter, this man regains the ability to walk. And when he's healed, when he jumps to his feet and begins to walk, uh, all the people who saw him walking and praising God, verse 10 tells us, they recognized him as that same man who couldn't walk before, and they were filled with wonder and amazement in what had happened. And they all run together. They mob Peter in the middle of the temple. What that tells us is that something unconventional has just happened. 
this is a sign that the people weren't expecting. It was a bold sign. And it would be easy for us to get distracted by, uh, by only focusing on the sign itself. In fact, when I was uh, preparing the, the sermon this week, I realized that in our outline, we'd only kind of chunked off to talk about the actual miracle. But as I was reading through it, it became clear, no, no, the, the miracle and then the sermon that comes afterward that Peter gives, they're intricate, intricately woven together. Because in Peter's mind, he sees this sign as a pointer to something greater because that's how signs work, right? Like, think about all of the billboards that you see up around Nashville. Always, all the time, there are billboards up for, for concerts, right, for a show. Think about your, your favorite artist. You, you're driving on 24, and you see the billboard up for their show at Bridgestone. Who, who would be the artist that you'd want to see? Just, will somebody give me a name? The Killers, okay. So you see this billboard up for the Killers, right? John knows. This is like me, Angels and Airwaves style, okay? So you see the billboard, up and you think, yes, this is so exciting. I, I, I see a sign. And you could go and you could talk to all of your friends about the Killers billboard that is up. You could talk about all the things you see on the billboard, the date, when it's going to happen, how, how excited that you are for the sign, for what's happening. And then let's say the concert comes and goes, and someone asks you, uh, hey, did you go to the concert? How was it? You say, oh, well, I didn't go. Like, well, you spent so long talking to me about what was on the billboard. You're like, well, yeah, but I just really liked the billboard. Like, no, that would be missing the point of the sign, right? The sign is to get you to go to the concert. That's the same thing that's happening here. Peter is saying this, this miracle is a sign. It's pointing you to something. And that's the way miracles are understood all throughout the New Testament, all throughout Scripture. John says this, the author John in, in his gospel, John 2.11 after Jesus has just turned water to wine at this wedding in Cana of Galilee. He says, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first half of the book of John, scholars refer to it as the book of signs because it's one miracle after another that's pointing us to something about Jesus. Peter's entire sermon is about pointing us to, to the reason, to, the, to what lies behind the miracle, behind this bold sign. So we have to ask, well, what is it pointing to, right? What was the point? The point of this miracle is to show us that Jesus is at work in our world. It says that in verse 6, P Peter says this in verse 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. Saying this sign points us to the power of Jesus and points us to the fact that Jesus is at work in our world now. That God is at work in our world now through Jesus Christ, through the power of Christ. And then what he does is he steps back through history and he shows how all of God's work in the world has been leading up to this moment. Like in verses 25 and 26, that's why I had us read the entire chapter, which was long, but it's for a reason. Because it's important that we grasp that the mission that God is on now is the mission that he has always been on. 
what Peter says in verse 25 to his friends is, you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him to you first to bless you. What he's, what he's communicating in his sermon is that this time right now, he's saying, this is a time of blessing. That the blessing that God promised to Abraham, the, God, the blessing that God promised would come through Abraham, he's saying, it's here now. The blessing is here. He says in verses 22 and 23, it says, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And Peter's saying, uh, that prophet, he's come. His name is Jesus. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks the words of God. So Peter is saying, the time of blessing is here. The time where God has spoken authoritatively to us, that time is here. He talks about the prophets in verse 21. Heaven must receive him until the time for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. That Peter's saying the time of restoration in the world, it's begun. The sign that was performed, the healing of this lame man, him being made to walk in Jesus' name, what it indicates is the time that the people of Israel had been looking forward to for centuries, that time is here. A time of blessing, a time of restoration. A time where we can be confident that we have heard God speak to us. That time is here. And, and that time is still here. It's the age that we all are living in together as we wait for Jesus to return. And that blessing that Peter's talking about, he's talking about the blessing of God's presence. That God is here. He's among us. He's living in us. That there is nothing that can separate us from him. That there is peace for us. That there's joy for us. That it's possible to truly know and experience God. And that promise is expanding out, has expanded out beyond the borders of ethnic Israel and it's for all of the world. that we're living in that age of blessing. A time when Peter says it's possible that our sins would be blotted out and that what we would experience is refreshment from God. That our God is on mission in our world. He's on mission blessing, restoring, speaking truth, blotting out sins, refreshing his people. And the sign that we see in this passage points us to that, reminds us that that's true. And that's just as true today as it was then. There's a bold sign to show us this bold mission that God is on in our world. And Peter boldly participates in that mission. One of the first things we notice about the way that Peter engages here is that Peter is bold in the way that he demonstrates compassion to this man. That part of participating in this mission that God is about in the world is, is being people who uh, 
boldly live out of the compassion that we have been given, who are bold in our compassion to our world, right? So we have this man who is laying, uh, laying at a gate. And when Peter and John walk by, he's asking people for money, right? So he's holding out his hand. But Peter and John have to tell the man to look at them, which means that the man, when he's asking, is laying on the ground, and he's, ho- he's looking down, and he's holding out his hand. That he won't make eye contact with the people that he's talking to. And the first thing that Peter says to him is, look at me. There is an obligation for people who are going to the temple to give alms to the people that were asking for money. They had to do it. And yet what we see is there is, it was possible even there to forget the humanity of the people who they were giving the alms to. It had been reduced to a transaction. Just take the money and look away. Such of the people who were receiving the money, like this man, didn't even want to look. And in that transaction, their humanity had been lost. And what Peter says to this man is, look at me. He has the compassion to recognize, to say to this man, I see you as a person, and I want you to see that I see you. Because God sees you. Look at me. So the man looks up, and he's still got his hand out, hoping he's going to receive something. And Peter says to him, I don't have any cash on me, right? Silver or gold, I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. Rise up and walk. And one of the commentators that I read this week, he, ta- he talks about how what may have happened is that this man, he's got his, his hand out to receive alms, and he finally looks up at Peter, and what Peter does is he grabs the man's outstretched hand, and he pulls him up. Rise up and walk. And the compassion there is so great, not only to care, not only to see this man, but to touch him, to engage with him, this person who would have been unclean outside of the temple, and to give him a gift that was so far beyond what he even knew to ask for. That's the bold compassion that Peter is displaying here. And as people who are part of God's bold mission in the world, that's the kind of compassion that we are invited to give out to the people around us, to pour out on the people around us is bold compassion. What does that look like? I think about our friends who are part of this congregation who serve uh, at Saturday supper. So every month we have a group of people who go and make meals for people in our community who are, are experiencing homelessness. And they don't just make the meals for them. They actually sit with them and eat with them, look at them, talk to them, hear their stories while they are sharing dinner together. That's bold compassion, right? We're going to send out a link this week. If you want to do that with them, you can sign up to do it with them. I was having lunch with a guy who uh, leads Young Life at Stratford High School, which is a ministry that connects with kids, builds relationships with them, and tells them about Jesus. And he was talking to me, first of all, about how much he loves Stratford. He was saying, this is, this is the, I love that I get to work at Stratford with these kids. It's the best high school you can imagine in all of the city. I'm like, I love how much you love Stratford. I think he's probably going to come and talk to us at some point this fall because we, we want to be able to su- support him and what Young Life is doing there. And he talked about how he, he walked into campus this last week and he saw a kid who he knew and he said his name, hey, whoever, where are you off to? And he said, I'm going to the band room. He said, can I come with you? 
oh gosh, that is terrifying to me, right? The idea of just inviting myself to go along with any person is terrifying to me, let alone a high schooler? Jeez. Right, that's, that's boldness and a boldness that comes out of a desire to show compassion. Let's talk about when you are on your street and uh, you invite a neighbor over for dinner. Does that take boldness? I see a few head nods. Can anybody attest that? Can I get an amen on that, right? To ask someone into your house who you don't know, uh, that's bold. Or even more bold, when they invite you over to their house, you actually say yes, right? And then to engage and to hear where, where they are, where they're coming from, what is happening in their life, and, and rather than receiving updates or talking about other people who live on the street, to actually talk about them and talk about yourself, Friends, the compassion that we are called to is a compassion that requires boldness on our part. But the boldness that we display, it's not our boldness. Right? What does Peter say? He says to the people, why are you looking at me like it's my own power that healed this man? He says, it's not me. It's the power of Jesus in me. And the same power that was in Peter who healed this man, that same Jesus power is the power that is in you to be boldly compassionate to the people around you. But Peter is compassionate in a bold way with this man, and he is also a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Does it make anybody else sweat to hear what Peter says in here? Like, oh, geez, Peter, this is really intense, right? Yeah. That to, that to declare who Jesus is, there's a boldness that that requires. bold proclaimer. He's a bold proclaimer of grace. And part of us being on mission with Jesus in the world is to be a bold proclaimer of that same grace. Do you know? This is a fun fact for you, okay? Uh, 55% of people who are not part of a church, don't consider themselves religious people, 55% of those people say that if they were invited to church by someone in their family, they would say yes. Is that surprising to anybody? It surprises me. 51% of people say that, uh, of that kind of same demographic, that if a close friend invited them to come to church with them, they would say yes. I would prefer that if I was going to ask anybody to come, the odds would be more like 90, you know? That would make me feel more comfortable. But 50% is still a lot higher than I assume. And I'm, so this morning, on my desk at work, I went in to pray with our other pastors before I came here. There was a letter that someone had sent to Midtown. It was a pastor of this small town somewhere in the south. And I opened it up, and he was talking about this couple who was at his church and the way that being a part of, uh, of this church had changed their life. And the story that he shared was that uh, there was this person who was out, uh, out there, friends, and had had a really hard time finding a church they connected to. Church had always been kind of this social thing that they had done. And someone said, well, why don't you come with me to church tomorrow? And that that invitation changed the trajectory of this person's life and changed the trajectory of the life of the person that, that they married. That there was a boldness that, that some, somebody had to invite their friend to come and to hear the gospel preached, and it, it changed not only that person's life, but all the people connected to that person.
we are called as a people into the adventure of boldly being a part of God's mission. I'm uh, super into right now reading books that are about jungle exploration. I don't know how I got on this tangent in my life and on my Kindle, but it's where I am, okay? And uh, one of these books, uh, it's called The Lost City of Z, and there's a, uh, these are, they're, they're true stories, okay? And there's an excerpt from this guy's journal who had gone into the Amazon jungle to find another explorer who had gotten lost. So he's planned this big uh, adventure, this bold adventure that he's walking into the Amazon rainforest to find this lost explorer. And, and he then narrates in his journal uh, other people's responses to his desire to be a part of this adventure. He classified people based on their reactions to his plans, is what the author says. This, this man says, well, there were the prudent who said, this is an extraordinarily foolish thing to do. There were the wise who said, this is an extraordinarily foolish thing to do, but at least you will know better next time. There were the very wise who said, this is a foolish thing to do, but not nearly so foolish as it sounds. There were the romantic who appeared to believe that if everyone did this sort of thing, all the world's troubles would soon be over. There were the envious who thanked God they were not coming. And there were the other sort who said with varying degrees of insincerity that they would give anything to come. There were the correct who asked me if I knew any of the right people, any of the people at the embassy. There were the practical who spoke at length about inoculations and and calibers, and there were the apprehensive who asked me if I had made my will. And then there were the men who had done a certain amount of that sort of thing in their time, you know? And these imparted to me elaborate stratagems. When we talk about going on being a part of God's mission in the world, being a part of that kind of bold adventure, do you hear any of those kinds of people in your own head? Yeah, like when I was in high school and youth group, I mean, sure. But I'm older and more mature now, so I know. Yeah, I mean, that sounds kind of risky, but what about? Sure, but I don't know enough answers. I don't have enough of the resources. Once I finally know, then I'll be able to. And they masquerade all of those voices as being prudent, wise, very wise correct, practical. And the invitation that God is offering us here, that even the command that's on our lives is that we would come and boldly be a part of the mission that God is about in the world, that we would join him in boldly giving out his compassion and boldly proclaiming the gospel. And to be a people who would be bold proclaimers, the first thing that has to happen in our lives is that we would be bold receivers of the gospel. Can you imagine the nerve of Peter to stand up in front of a people and say to them, you killed the author of life. His blood's on, Jesus' blood is on your hands is what he says to them. Yikes, Peter. Where do you get the nerve to say something like that to people? Peter tells them, you disowned Jesus in front of Pilate. You know who else disowned Jesus in front of Pilate? 
Peter. He disowned Jesus three times. So Peter is not looking at these guys and saying, you killed Jesus. He's saying, I have also disowned Jesus. But Peter is a man who knew what it, what it meant to be covered with the shame of rejecting Jesus. We see, we see Peter in the Gospels weeping because of the shame and the guilt that he feels for turning his back on his friend and on his Lord. What Peter begs the people to do in response to this sign of God on mission in the world, what he begs them to do is to repent. In verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. See, Peter is a man who knows what it means for his sins to be blotted out. That he has experienced the healing power of Jesus' grace that looks at all of the sin, all of the shame, all of the guilt that, says, that sits on our lives and says, I know and I have forgiven you for that. This idea of blotted out is this idea of ink being written on a page that is totally wiped away. And not like the kind of wiping when you're writing with a, with a pen that's too thick and you smear it on the paper. Not like that. No, like, it, like, if, like if we had a whiteboard and all of the sins that you have ever committed were written up on that board. All of the sins that you have ever committed that you were aware of and all of the ones you've committed that you were not aware of and all of the ones that you and I have committed that we're aware of and try not to be aware of, that they were all written up there and that what Jesus has done is he's come and he's wiped it all away. It's blotted out. It's gone. There's no memory of it. There's no record of it left. And Peter has experienced the freedom that comes from that. And what he is calling the people that he's preaching to is to come and experience the freedom of that. Friends, the invitation for us is that we would come and experience the freedom of that. Do you know that freedom? Have you tasted that in your life? That is a bold thing to believe, isn't it? That it's possible for your sins to be blotted out. But the first thing that Peter calls us to is to repent. Is to acknowledge that there is sin and that there is something in our life that has turned us away from God. But that's called sin. That the guilt and the shame that we carry that sits on us so heavily is not only a relational problem between us as people, but it is actually a problem between us and God. That is a bold thing to believe, isn't it? And to acknowledge that and say, that's true. That's true about me. This idea of repentance first is the acknowledgement that we are in need, that we are a people who sin, and then is a turning away, turning from the sin and turning to God. Peter is saying, come. He's saying, you don't have to be afraid to acknowledge your sin. Call it what it is. And that what you can trust is that God will blot it out, that he will wipe it away. And if you are here this morning and that is new news to you, I will tell you it is good news for you and it is that simple. It's an acknowledgement of your sin and it's a turning away from it in faith. And then when that happens, what Jesus promises is that he wipes it away and that there is refreshment for you. And maybe you have been following Jesus for a long time and that refreshment feels foreign. 
Because what, I don't know if it's what we're taught, if it's, it's part of, of who we are as people, is that we come to believe that we're doing God a favor when we crawl back to the gate and act like we're lame and put our hands out and ask for alms. That we believe somehow we are doing something for God when we load ourselves up with guilt and with shame and we let that be what motivates us toward better behavior. That is not how God is desiring to change your life. It's not through a load of guilt and shame. It's the way that God desires to change your lives. And the only kind of transformation that is really possible is when that has been removed and you come to understand how deeply you are loved right where you are. That is the motivation that, that, that God desires to put in our hearts. Is for us to understand to a greater and greater degree the amount that we are loved. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would understand the height, the width, the breadth, and the depth, and the love of God that surpasses all knowledge. What he is saying is that for the rest of your life and for the rest of my life, we will be growing in what it means to understand how much God loves us and how much he has forgiven us. And our growth in the gospel as individual people and as a community is not in about pretending that we're better than we are, but learning how much God loves us right where we are. That Peter becomes a bold proclaimer of the gospel because he has been a bold receiver of the gospel for himself. Friends, that is what brings us to the Lord's table this morning. Because the Lord's Supper, this, this is a place where we experience, where we receive boldly the love that God has for us. That Jesus calls us to, to come to him uh, right where we are with all of our sin and to taste to receive the physical reminder, the presence of Jesus with us. But this table is a place that we experience the blessing that Peter talked about, where we experience the refreshment that Peter talked about, where we experience and taste the promise of the restoration that has come and is coming. Where we remember that we are a people who have been called to new life. And when we come to this table, uh, we often come here with a spirit of uh, solemnness and repentance, right? Bringing our sin to the Lord. And that is, that is appropriate. And yet what we hope is that as we come to the table, what we also experience and hold on to is the newness of life that we have been promised. That we, like this man, would, would be a people who are jumping and praising God, who are leaping because of the joy and the security with which we know that God has come for us, that he's blotted out our sins, that there's nothing that can separate us from his love and his blessing in our lives. And so as we come to the table, uh, there's a warning that I, that I have to give you because the scriptures give it to us. And it's that if there are places in your life where you are refusing to repent, where you are, where you are knowingly telling God, uh, I, I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I won't call it that. 
then what the Lord says is, oh, don't come to the table right now. Now, if you are willing this morning to call that sin, sin, then yes, come. But if there are places in your heart where you're saying no to the Lord, this is not for you right now. And if you are in a place in your life where you are exploring faith, that you're not sure, uh, that, that you've never trusted Jesus blotting out your sins, then this table is not for you this morning. And I would pray and hope that this morning would be a morning where you do trust him for that. But this table is for people who have said, yes, Jesus, you have blotted my sins out, you have taken them away. And if that is you, uh, that means that you're a sinner, just like me, just like Peter. This table is for sinners who would come boldly to receive the grace that God, has ha- that God has for them. Doubters who would come boldly to say, I'm holding on to this truth that has taken hold of me. Come to the table. So the way we're going to do this is uh, you can fold down the kneelers that are in front of you. You don't have to use them, but you can go ahead and drop them now because they make a very loud sound. So just go ahead and do that. Okay. I'm going to invite the, the band to come up and to lead us as we sing. And uh, what's going to happen is uh, I'll, I'll pray for us here in a minute, and there will be some time for you to reflect with the Lord, to ask him, Lord, are there parts of my heart, uh, are there places that you're calling me to repent, that you would do that with him? And then after the first song, I'll come back up and we'll take uh, the bread together be another song, I'll come back up and we'll take the juice together and there'll be a chance for us to celebrate afterwards corporately the joy of what Jesus has done for us. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. Oh, Lord, and we are thankful uh, that your word testifies to the power of your grace in our lives. Lord, that it testifies to your ability your desire to blot, the the fact that you have, Lord, blotted out the sins of your people. And you have blotted it out so that we would experience refreshment with you. Lord, we come to you boldly now, uh, asking that you would show us where we need to repent, Lord, and we trust that those are sins that you have already blotted out for us in Jesus. Would you give us, Lord, a fresh experience of that freedom and refreshment this morning? Amen.